Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 252 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, last Thursday, we released an episode uh, I did with Drew Powell and Matt Warren from Crosspoint Church in Nashville. I hope you loved it as much as I did. That was an incredible conversation just about what's changing in culture, why attractional church became what it did, uh, why it's maybe not producing in terms of impact, what it used to, and so much more. So today is kind of part two of that, because when I was in Nashville, I spent some time with Drew and with Matt, but then I sat down with the new lead pastor at Crosspoint, Kevin Queen, and Kevin has had the incredible and sometimes unenviable task of following a founding pastor. So Crosspoint was started by Pete Wilson. It grew to thousands of people and multiple campuses. Then Pete stepped back. And then Kevin's got to come in and move in. And I think the incredible part of that story, multiple pieces, but number one, Kevin's a completely different style leader than Pete was. Knowing them both, just very different personalities. Number two, often the story becomes, how do we get back to what we were under the founder? And what's so incredible is that just a short time in, uh, Crosspoint is not only back to, but beyond what it was before and with a really different vibe, yet it's still recognizable. I mean, it's fascinating. You'll begin to, to see what I'm talking about, uh, not only when you listen to last episode, but when you hear more of Kevin's heart. And then the third thing I would say, I spent some time with Kevin. This is a man who just really oozes his faith. And it's convicting, it's inspiring, it's amazing, and that is the center of his leadership. So I think for all those reasons, you're going to absolutely love this conversation with the lead pastor of Crosspoint Church, Kevin Queen. So that's what's coming up today. Hey, do you know that Easter is just a few weeks away? And maybe you've got that all planned, or maybe you don't, and you know it could be a lot better. Here's what you should do. Reach out to Pro Media Fire, who can help you with all of your social media and your media needs. They are a cloud-based creative team who will work for you to design videos, social media, graphics, far more, even postcards for Easter and far beyond. And they'll do it for a fraction of the price that a staff person would cost you. So if you go to promediafire.com forward slash carry, you can get, this is like the last few weeks, where their special is available. You'll get 40% off the Media Bundle launch, and it's only available, that discount is only available to listeners of this podcast. So go to promediafire.com forward slash carry and act while you still can. And speaking of while you still can, have you yet registered for Rethink Leadership? I'm going to be there along with Horst Schulze. He is the founder of Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Kevin Jennings, Nona Jones from Facebook. Uh, man, we've got Darius Daniels, Danielle Strickland, Kara Powell, John Acuff, Brad Lominick, Clay Scroggins, myself, and a whole lot more. I'm going to be giving a brand new set of talks, some brand new conversations. So are all the speakers and it's TED style and it's an exclusive gathering. You have to be a senior pastor, campus pastor, or executive pastor to get in. 
and it's selling out fast. So head on over to RethinkLeadership.com. Get in today while you still can. Join us May 1st through 3rd in Atlanta, Georgia. I would love to connect with you. And there is a ton of hang time at this event. You not only walk out with your question answered, but you get to ask some of the top thinkers, communicators in the world your question and get to make some friends along the way as well. So I think it's going to be a fantastic experience. Well, in the meantime, guess what? We are ready to jump into my conversation with Kevin Queen. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. It's been fun getting to know you over the last few months, and uh, it's just great to have you on. Yeah, it was great to get to get some hang time out in uh, San Diego. That's always a, a good time with those pastors at a round table mm-hmm. to get to get to know you out there. And then I just want to say thank you for coming in with our team and uh, and teaching teaching our team on uh, on cynicism. Great. Talk. Yeah, we just and, had lunch. Yeah. Talked about cynicism, and you have pretty hopeful staff. So <laughs> it was it was good. And and then another episode this morning with two of your guys, Matt and Drew, as we talked about attractional church. So it's just been fun when this came. And we just missed Annie F. Downs, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. yeah I know. Sorry. She's got her own thing going on, but I was on her podcast earlier this year. So it's like cross point season. Yeah. It's no, all great. good. Well, uh, Kevin, you stepped into a really fascinating role in 2016 when you became the lead pastor, or was it 2017? Yes, you became the lead pastor, I thought yeah. so, of Crosspoint Church in Nashville. And there are literally, I, we hear from them every week on the podcast, on the blog I write, thousands of pastors listening who, like you, are moving into a situation that they didn't start or they didn't found. In many cases, believe it or not, it's a dad who's stepping out of ministry and the son, or I'm sure occasionally the daughter is taking over. Uh, Other times it's the associate becoming the senior or brought in. And usually what, 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 you know, was so unique about this was, you know, you're stepping in for a founding pastor. So Pete Wilson had been here for how many years? Uh, 14, 14 14 years, which is a long time. And, you know, he was, about your age, I think, when when he stepped out for a variety of reasons, and uh, that's a that's a tough situation to step into for anybody. Jeff Brody, when he, you know, I'm still part of Connexus, but when he took over as lead pastor of Connexus for me, you know, that's a hard job. And he said, "I'm here to be the sacrificial lamb. If someone <laughs> needs to go down for two years, you know, try this for two years and get fired." And of course, he's done a spectacular job, just a brilliant job. But it is a story I think we're going to hear more and more of over the next decade. So for about a thousand reasons, um, and because I'm a, uh, I want to say a fan of your leadership, that sounds all wrong. Uh, I love the way you lead and we're going to get into that. But, you know, this is, this is a very salient conversation. So walk us through that season in 2017 when you stepped into the lead role at Crosspoint. No, I, I think back to a podcast that I was listening to um, right before I'm making the transition, I kind of went on like this cram for the final exam, <laughs> like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. listen to anything I can get on, uh, on succession and on transitional leadership. And, uh, there was a CEO of American apparel and, um, and she said, she said, there's only two ways to become the point leader. Either you start something or you're the successor. And she mm. said, and both of them are really hard. <laughs> so I think, I, and I think you realize because because either you're starting it and it's really hard and it's really difficult, or you're the successor. And whether it's a planned transition or an unplanned transition, there's just challenge and it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. So I think that kind of set me up with uh, with the expectation. Okay, this is it's going to be it's going to be challenging. Um, so 
I'm, I made the, made the transition. I think the situation that I came into Crosspoint had been about 10 months in transition and, and Crosspoint, it's amazing church. Um, just a real, um, real heart for service, for serving others, influential in the city. Some of the most creative people I've ever been around in my life and one of the most creative cities on the planet. And, uh, and a, a real heart as far as a church of how do we make a difference in the community? And, mm-hmm. uh, and so I, I, I knew of that reputation. I'd never watched a service at Crosspoint, never attended a service at Crosspoint, just knew um, of that uh, of that reputation. And so in that in that transition, it was 10 months, it was a difficult transition. Uh, there was a leadership mm-hmm. team that was in many ways um, new. The executive team had pretty much turned over except for for one of the uh, with the key leaders. And then that Kevin Cook, who was the, became the executive pastor, who then put together a leadership team. And, and pretty much a lot of people got a promotion. Yeah, yeah. In, all in of that, a sudden you're promoted, moment, right? Yeah. And, then, and then that team really led through a 10 month transition. And there were, there were people who left and uh, there were some staff who left. There were people in the congregation. The congregation attendance took a hit. Finances, uh, giving took a, took a hit. But the, the core that stayed, um, really, uh, I would just say came together in a way that was, um, that was really special. And really the, the heart of the church, um, was, was demonstrated in that time, just this core group and a dependency on God. I think there was kind of this desperation, yeah. right. That was, that was, and the gift of that kind of transition is really, really hard. But the gift is, I think when you're coming in as a leader is that a lot of times people have the gift of crisis is that they're just looking for a leader. <laughs> like they were, they were ready, we're ready for, for somebody to, to come and to, and to lead. And, uh, and so I think part of while God was preparing in 10 months is, is a long time, but what God was preparing Crosspoint for the transition, he was preparing me for the transition mm-hmm. as well. So I want to come to that, but just to set the stage a little bit. So Crosspoint been around for 14 years mm-hmm. at that point, maybe 15 by the time you, you got here. And what size, like multi-site, like there was a lot at stake. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a big church. And that's sort of always been one of the critiques mm-hmm. of mega churches, because it's a mega church is, well, great. But when the founder goes, it all falls apart. Right. So right? there are five campuses and, mm-hmm. uh, and the broadcast location, the largest location. And really it was the broadcast location that took the biggest hit. Um, in attendance, because a lot of times people were coming in and for the, the communicator live and in person, but but it was the it was the campuses and the sites, the other locations that they demonstrated a, a high level of stability, and, mm. uh, and really they they came together in a in a special way. What and was so, attendance roughly in two thousand sixteen? You know, I'm I'm believing the church was around probably around sixty five hundred. Yeah, um, so 6, good size church, five yeah. locations. Mm-hmm. Lots of staff, yeah. and then by the time you got here, mm-hmm. a year and a half later, ten months later, whatever, two thousand seventeen. What, what were, what was the size then? Fifty five hundred, five thousand. You know, yeah. there were yeah. So, so lost was, about a thousand people, mm-hmm. which is a lot of people. So, giving dipped. A lot of people, yeah, and giving dipped, and uh, so it took a significant hit in uh, in that. And so then the question is, like, are we going to be able to keep you know staff employed? You know, there was just a, and and so. The team, and, I, and again, I'm, I wasn't here at the time, but the team really came together and they said, hey, we're going to we're gonna pull back. We're going to trim back a lot of things, made a lot of sacrifices, but, um, but everybody was able to, the entire team was able to weather the storm. And so I, I, I say that like Crosspoint is a great um, ship. 
Mm. Like, that's what really, when I got here, I was like, some people were saying, well, man, you got to turn the ship around. And I'm like, you know what? Crosspoint's a great ship. We're just going to, we're going to raise the sail. <laughs> you know? like, like really. And so I think in that season, we raised the sail and the wind began to blow. And it was like, we went from, from rowing to, to the wind, wind blowing. And, uh, and so I want to lead this thing like a, like a sail leads the wind, you know? And, uh, well, and we're going to go there because yeah. I, I think you're, the way you lead is, worth paying attention to because I've met a lot of leaders and I see something different in you that I think is really awesome. But there's that question of, you know, who wants this job? I'm sure lots of people did, but how did you know? And this is a bigger question. This is a specific question. How did you know you were called to this? Cause you have a powerful story, but then other people are like, like, how do I know I'm called to anything? So talk to yeah. us about that. Well, a little bit of backstory. I, uh, I grew up in Lawrenceville, Georgia, which is Gwinnett County, about a million people in Gwinnett County. So a large County Northeast of, uh, of Atlanta. And, uh, and so grew up there, ended up at a church, um, amazing story how I got there, but church uh, called 12 stone, which mm-hmm. was, which is in the, uh, in the town that I grew up, my wife and I are from Lawrenceville. And, uh, and so love 12 stone was, was there for, for 14 years. And, uh, and I thought I would be in Lawrenceville for 40 more years. And I thought yeah. I'd be at 12 stone for a long, long time. But around the beginning of 2017, around the beginning of, uh, of that year, um, really began to sense kind of transition. But I didn't know, I didn't know, was it transition at 12 stone? In fact, it goes back to Catalyst, at Catalyst Conference in 2016. Hmm. Andy, uh, Andy gave his first talk. And after Andy Stanley's talk, um, I just had this overwhelming sense of, um, God, I, like, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. Like, what I was, was Andy's talk? I'm curious. I, I don't even remember. Oh, wow. You know, it, because the, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, to, be, uh, to be honest, I don't remember what the talk was. I just remember a, a yes to God. Like with what he was talking about, you remember, yes, God. And I was we- like in that moment, I'm weeping. And I was sitting at the conference with people. There were people I didn't know around me. And I'm just a mess. Like in that moment, I'm saying, God, because here's what had happened, Carrie. I'd gone from wondering about the future to worrying about the future. Like there was this shift from, God, what do you have that you've called me to? To this shift of, I was obsessively worrying about, well, what do I need to do to make this next thing happen? And I was trying to figure out in the context of 12 Stone, because I didn't know the future. So mm-hmm. then, so then I get to January and, um, and I was aware that Crosspoint did, didn't have a pastor. I was aware of, of the need. Um, I've got a sister-in-law and a brother-in-law that live in East Nashville. And so my brother-in-law's in a band, tours, does a deal. And, um, and they didn't have a church home in Nashville. And so I started to think, you know what, if they, ha- if they went to a church, it'd be a church a lot like Crosspoint. Hmm. So I started to pray for Crosspoint. God, would you bring a pastor to Crosspoint so that they would have a church home? Initially, having no thought of that I would let, be let that. Let that the, be right, me, right. even though there was something happening. But God used that thought as a seed. Um, and in January and February, began to sense this stir, like, I think God wants me to do that. And so then it was this conversation with God of like, okay, God, um, I don't think I have what it takes. And mm. this is, when I say conversation, I had this little room down in my basement, little prayer room kind of built in there. And I had a wall that I kind of put up as a, it was a, it was like a dry erase, you know, wall that I write down things I was praying. And I, I write down my prayers in Evernote, you know, and so I journal them. And so I was writing these, writing these prayers out with God. And for like January, February, March, I'm writing this conversation with God um, saying, God, I don't know if I have what it takes, but if you think I have what it takes then have him come get me. I, at this point in February, I hadn't even told my wife yet. I hadn't told another person. Why just, did you think you didn't have what it takes? Um, hmm. I'd never, I never led at, at that, at that level. 
I would, um, I look back and I, 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 I struggle with ambition. I have ambition, but I struggle knowing is it godly ambition or selfish ambition? And that's always been a struggle in my life. And I've had some moments in my life where God just has, has helped me. And I, I kind of surrendered that to him. Said, God, whatever you have for me. So it's not that I was afraid to dream. I just didn't want to venture into selfish ambition. Mm. And, then, and then as I think about part of, part of the insecurity, just going, I've never led at that level. I've never done, I mean, I've seen, yeah, I've that's experienced. Yeah, a big great, ship, a big boat. That's a big, and, and it's tumultuous. A picture in my mind. It was one day where my, where my father sent me a text. He said, check out the Columbia Bar Crossing. And this was in January, February, Columbia Bar Crossing. And, uh, and I, saw, I was like, okay. I look up and up in Oregon where the Columbia River meets the, uh, meets the Pacific Ocean, it's the most tumultuous crossing uh, that exists because you've got just these, you know, the current that comes together with the ocean. And so what they actually do is they helicopter pilots in for those boats and they drop them in on the boats. And then, cause people can't captain their own vessel across. And Boom. so they'll, they'll, they'll drop these people in. Right. And they'll actually, they're, they're specialists in crossing the channel. And so my dad no sent way. me that one morning and I saw that and I, was, and I had this deep sense of, okay, God, that's what you're calling me to do. And, and I, and I knew like for me, it was just this, this picture that brought into reality that that's what you're, and I've never done this before. I've never, you know, I've never captained a <laughs> ship like this before. And so there was this deep sense of just, I guess it was, it was fear and maybe some insecurity and, mm. uh, and just the unknown um, would be what got me to that place. So, so I'm, I'm spending time praying through this, not telling another, another soul. One of the, one of the prayers that I prayed and wrote down one day was, God, I'm, that's a big door. I'm not going to knock on that door. You'll have to send them here to knock on me, mine. And then it got to like uh, March and I'm finally like, you know what? I should probably tell my wife. I mean, it's been stirring. And, and, uh, and I, I, uh, I told Ray, um, I said, I think God's calling us to, to Nashville. And, uh, and again, but you hadn't talked to them about I, it. No, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I'm like, I'm, and I haven't, I, I hadn't talked. And, and again, I loved where I was at and I loved what I was doing. So I've got yeah. this, I've got this thing that I'm wrestling with internally. And, uh, and I told, I told Ree and I said, I think God's calling us to, to Nashville. And, uh, and we just began to, to talk about it and pray. And we had been sensing transition for, for several months. We just didn't know what it was. I thought so it she knew it about the transition, but she didn't know about but Crosspoint. Here, we thought the transition would be in 12, like there was right. the, so there were options at home that, too. That we, that we didn't, we really know about. We just sensed, okay, God, you're shifting something. You're, I mean, in fact, we took our kids, we were planning, um, our kids were in private school and we were planning to move them to a different, so like there was just a season of transition like that. Here's the way, I, like God was uprooting us. I mean, we had great roots. We had grace. We've been there for 40 years. All of our family was around, my wife's parents, my parents, all of the kids' cousins, but God was gently uprooting us. Mm so that he could transition us to new soil. And so all of those other, we, we just couldn't name it. We didn't know what it was aiming toward. Wow. Um, so so there, was a, there was a lot of prayer. I, you know, it's funny, there was a video from, uh, from uh, a teaching at 12 Stone that was put up on, the, up on Facebook and it started to get some traction. It was a story that I told and uh, it started to get some was traction. Was it the Chipotle, Chipotle story? story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it kind of- I remember seeing it at the time. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. I, and, and so I had this thing that was kind of out there and I prayed, prayed something with this. I said, God, if, if you want to use that, you can take that video and let somebody there see it and ask me to come and speak. That was all I knew was just ask me to come and speak. And so I just, I prayed that. That was March 17th. March 20th, I got a text 
uh, from a friend of mine that lived up in Nashville, didn't attend the church, but he said, hey, I've got some buddies who are on the search team at Crosspoint. They want to talk with you about the lead pastor position. And I'm like, I'm down in the basement in the prayer room. When I see it, it was a Monday morning. I run upstairs. I show it to my wife, and I'm like, "Ray, God's God's doing like God's God's moving. Like this is this is happening." So and you show up at the job interview. God has been telling me <laughs> yeah, well, that I'm your new pastor. Well, here's the thing. I, I just knew, like Kevin, you can't do that. Right? That's that's, exactly. the, that's the way you kill it. <laughs> but I just knew, like I had this sense, like this is a secret between me and God. No way. Like this is something yeah. that I can't, I can't play. I'm not going to play the God card. I'm not going to try to manipulate the process. Part of holding secrets, and I think sometimes God will give us secrets. Mm. Yeah, because really it is it is about trust. And sometimes we give it. Can he can he show us something? He demonstrates can he move in a way that we go, man. I'm just I'm just not going to tell anybody. God, you can trust me with that piece of information. And it's hard. It's difficult because the first thing we do is share it with somebody. But it takes time for that to grow inside. And so um, so, so it's just you and your wife, you and Ree. Yeah, you're the only Rina. people who are talking about this right now. Right. You get you're sensing its cross point. Right. You prayed, okay, if they're going to see this video, they saw the video through a mutual friend, texted you to come and speak, and your mouth is shut at this point. Other than, yes, I will come and speak. Right. So so they called and they said, hey, we'd like to talk with you about, well, the the day that we were supposed to come up to Chattanooga, had a conversation at at 12 Stone about an opportunity at 12 Stone, really the dream, kind of dream job at 12 Stone. Wow. So is, is out there. So- my brother's building a house next door to us. I mean, all these things that were like, we were deeply rooted, but but I think God had to move in that way before so that we would be willing. You know, he had to shift mm. some things in us so that we would even be willing and say, okay, God, we'll take a next step. And uh, and so ended up going, to, uh, going up and interviewing and moving through the process. It wasn't until Easter weekend. And so can I yeah, yeah. share some Go. just kind of cr- crazy? Um, Ended up Easter weekend. My dad, who is a uh, he's an engineer, he builds bridges. He's not a uh, not a mystic, but he said I had a dream three nights in a row in um, in 2016, November 2016, and he said, and I got the dream painted painted, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like my dad does not, it. This is not my dad. Not my dad's dad. no. My dad is. Yeah. You know he he's. He's an engineer, and so this is not, this is new territory. He's never he actually he didn't paint it himself because that'd be rough. But he got it commissioned, and he shows us this painting. And the painting is this picture of uh, of and you can see there's kind of this temple up at the top, which looks a lot like the capital of Tennessee. I mean, he has no idea. He doesn't even know Cross Point needs a painting. He has no idea, no idea what we've been praying talk about. There's these stairs going down, and down at the bottom. Um, he says a bridge and there were 12 stones and across a bridge. And he said that I went up to my mom and I and said, mom and I, I need, I need to go. He said, in the dream, I came to him and said, I need to leave. He said, and I went down these stairs and I went to a baptismal and uh, he said, it was a wooden baptismal. And I was started baptizing people and rain was coming down in a dove. I'm just this real crazy picture. And this is not my dad. Hmm. In fact, let's not tell my dad that I'm telling this story. Like, so, <laughs> man, and, and, and in this dream, um, I'm weeping, I leave, I'm baptizing people. And so he shows us this. I'm like, this is crazy. Three nights in a row. This is back in November and end up, uh, end up um, taking a picture of it and carrying it around on my, my phone. And that was the week he shared that on Saturday before Easter. That was the week that we came up and talked with Crossway in Nashville. And when we were getting a tour of the location, um, they showed us, they said, hey, here, here are our baptismals. And it's identical to the baptismal in the dream. Oh, wow. And so I say like, that that's never happened to me like in my life ever. In fact, I was, 
in that moment, I'm like, God, you have been preparing and working like, but you did what you needed to do to get us to, to get us to follow, to, to be willing to, to move, to be willing to go. Like we just, we had to, had to know. Um, and you know what? Our family, like it was wonderful to be able to say later on, because uh, we were able to share once we, once we said, once we said yes, you know, and even in the process later on, once we talked with 12 stone and we come, we were able to tell our family, but to be able to say, Hey, here's how God has moved on our behalf. And, uh, cause it was a, it was a sacrifice for them, you know. So how did it work out with the search committee then? I mean, yeah. are you telling them my dad had a dream? No, no, I'm not, te- I'm not telling them anything. So I, so I wasn't able, I didn't feel permission from God to tell them anything until after we signed, after we said yes. And it, my wife and I drove up, we drove up from Atlanta to meet with them. And so we had that search team or the leadership team in, uh, in Matt Warren in his house. And we were all sitting around, sitting around th- their spouses. And we just went through the whole, I'd r- I wrote it all out. I had all my Evernote, like I had the whole deal. I had the paint, the picture of the painting and I had all packets for all of them. I said, let me tell you a story. And so told them the whole story. And I think for them to see, okay, because they didn't have that. They had mm-hmm. prayer and they had wisdom so and they had conversation. Independently. But they didn't right? have the supernatural side. They didn't signs. have the supernatural, right? Ah. They just go, okay, we just, we think this, this seems pleasing. Like this seems the thing that God's doing. So you had this, con- you had this connection of like this, the supernatural swirl, signs and wonders, right? Yeah. And then the wisdom, right? The, the, the wisdom and the counsel and the coming together, elders, search team, board of trustees coming together. And, uh, and, and, and so there was this, there was this connection of those two that was, that was really, I think really special. And I think was healing for them to be able to say, God has moved on our behalf. Like we haven't hmm. done this, you know, I mean, there, but, but God has orchestrated this in a, in a way that's really special. That is incredible. And the next thing you knew, you were in Nashville. <laughs> we were in Nashville. I had about a month. Um, I had about a month before we before we started. So yeah. we finished up in July at Twelve Stone. Said a lot of tough, you know, goodbyes. And that must uh, have been hard. It was really hard. Yeah. What? Any tips for people who are saying goodbye? Mm. You know, Jeff Henderson uh, oh, gave gave great some, mutual right? friend. Gave, yeah. just just such wisdom. But he said, you know, he said the longer that season lasts, he said, the more of the playground it is for the devil. <laughs> you know? So he said, the ah. longer, he said, the longer you, you kind of say, in other words, there comes a time when you just, when you need to, we need to go. But in yeah, a, cause a month, 30 days from I work here to we're moving. Right. Yeah. And, or, it's or crazy. the time, or yeah, the time when you have the conversation mm-hmm. announcing on staff, still hanging around. And so, so, but once we finally announced, I mean, it really, it really happened quick. Um, I think there was a time and going, you know, when you're, when you're having that conversation with people, giving them space and time to, to grieve, because really in many ways it feels like, like you've got a, you've got a, a celebration. It feels like a combination between a wedding and a funeral, right? right. And so, so there is grieving going on in one place, but at the same time and excitement. So I think having a month though, in between to be able to decompress from the funeral, to be able to ready in my own heart for the, for the next was, was really helpful rather than shutting things down and starting up the next Okay, next so you had a month to sort of say goodbye and yeah. then a month just off. Right, but with then, what Jeff was saying, don't don't yeah. let people know you're going and spend a lot of time still still there before you uh, before you actually leave. So there was, there was, I mean, 12 Stone was gracious and they uh, they sent me. And uh, and so, you know, I was, I was grateful for the way that uh, he sent me off. You said leaders shouldn't promote themselves beyond their capacity. Mm-hmm. God will promote you when his timing is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I would love to 
just have you unpack the principle because I think you gave us a really good illustration of it. But what does that mean? Right. So I think like we're familiar with the Peter principle, you know, yeah. that like we can get promoted beyond our capacity. And I think when it, when it comes in, in organizations, oftentimes people do get promoted. Right? Yeah. Classic that. is the car sales guy who's fantastic. Number one, all of a sudden, oh, we're going to make you the sales manager. Right. Can't manage his way out of a wet paper bag, right. but it was a great sales. So he hits that lid. Yep. And so, but I've discovered that I can, and people, we can promote ourselves beyond our capacity. Hmm. But God will never promote us beyond our capacity. If we wait on him to promote us, he won't promote us beyond our capacity. So like even with David, hmm. with David, God chose David and God promoted David in due time. Now it took time, but when he was in that position, it wasn't beyond, it wasn't beyond his capacity. So let me give you like an example. Yeah. So when I was at 12 Stone, um, I had an ambition to, uh, to go next level because I'd been a student pastor for four years and I wanted next, I just couldn't see what the next was, but I knew. And the position above me, the next gen pastor was open. There was some moving around online uh, on, on the org chart. And so I'm thinking, I want that position. So I went into Dan Ryland's office, Dr. Oh, Dan yeah, Ryland, Dan. just great leader. Went into Dan's office and I worked it up, the speech in my head. And I went in and I, I said, Dan, I said, I think, I think I'd like to be considered for that position for the next gen pastor. And Dan stopped. He just paused and he looked at me and he said, Kevin, I think you're doing a wonderful job in the position that you're in. And so I just kind of hung my head and just kind of like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I got a, I got an affirmation, but it's not, yeah, right. not what you wanted. But in other words, right, but not what I wanted. Oh, but I think I, I, I saw a position and I'm like, I'm going to go ask for that. I think really that's what Jesus talks about a lot of times. Like, don't ask for the seat. Wait to be invited. invited and hence, up. you know, Andy gives this talk. It wrecks you. And the reason mm -hmm. I asked for the name of the talk is he gave one in, I think, 2000. 15 that ruined me. Mm. And I'm like, uh, it's one of the reasons I'm not the lead pastor anymore. Thanks, Andy. But God used it. And yeah. I just sobbed through the whole thing. Yeah. But uh, that's call. Yeah. That's awakening. But this time you waited until they approached you. Now that's descriptive. Is it also prescriptive? Like there's a lot of leaders here who are like, what, I should never apply for a job ever? Like just sit back and see if anything happens. Right. I, I'm yeah. I'm speaking from my from my yeah, personal yeah, yeah. experience and from my from my story. Um, I, you know, I think I think. Uh, can I tell a story that really that sets this up? This. I was. It was 2007, and I was invited to speak at a conference, and uh, and it was down in Florida, and I was invited. A guy called me up. He said, "Hey, I'd like for you to speak at this conference." And again, this is 2007. He said, "There are going to be 7,000 teenagers, and uh, and I want you to speak in session five. And he said, uh, "We've asked Rob Bell, and he couldn't do it, and we asked Beth Moore, and she couldn't do it, and so um, we'd like to ask you." Now I'm a student pastor with a couple <laughs> hundred students, and I'm going, "Why in the world are you asking me?" But then he said, "Brennan Manning is speaking session." session six, and Francis Chan is given the first four sessions. And so I'm thinking, man, this is incredible <laughs> because, because the mission statement of my life was I want to do great things for God. And so I'd said that like, uh, here from, I, am God. Hey, yeah, I want to do great things for God. And I'm like, this is it. I'm about to do great things for God. And uh, so I asked for my bio and for my you know headshot and I didn't have either one of those. So I had to write something <laughs> up and take a picture, <laughs> you know, <laughs> selfie. I don't know. And so uh, I, I gave him that and I'm just thinking, this is, I'm about to do great things for God. I get to this conference and I worked on a talk for eight months. I get to the conference, I stand up and I deliver the talk. Carrie, I'm going to tell you, it bombed worse oh. than any other talk. It was as if, and here's what I said, it was like God's hand was taken off me. It was like the, any bit of anointing or 
spirit which that if was you on know it, kevin would be really hard to imagine was, but yeah i, I get gone. it like it just failed I, it, there was no power on it there was no you know whatever word you want to use it just wasn't there and i remember I got done and I went and um, I just, I sat down and I looked Did over. you know it bombed? In I that could moment? tell. I, it felt like yeah. I was trying to sell like vacuum cleaners or home appliances. <laughs> you know, it just felt like, like there was, there was just, uh. there was no power on it. I sat down next to my wife and I said, um, I'm just waiting for her because she is like my number one cheerleader. I'm waiting. And, uh, and she, I said, okay, yeah. so she, she asked this, she said, so what'd you think? <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm like, no, I want to know what you thought. I want you to know. But it was just, it was horrible. I, I began to go kind of in this low grade depression. I drove home from Orlando and I got home. I didn't even want to like receive any kind of compensation or like from the, because I was like, that was, that was horrible. I get home and there was a book in my mail um, that I'd ordered off Amazon. It was called Full Service by Dr. Sing Yang Tang. He's at, uh, he's at Fuller. And, uh, and I, I get the book and this was when you had to order on Amazon. It took like a week or two, you oh, know, yeah. to get in. So, but no it's there waiting. Is there, yeah, no problem at this time. And so I open up book and I get to page two or three of the book. And, uh, and in the book, he says, he says, many a young man has said that they want to do great things for God. And really that just means they want to be known and famous and bring God along for the ride. He said, a better aim for one's life instead of doing great things for God is to do things for a great God. Here mm. I wept. Mm. And it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, Kevin, why don't you just do things and let me be the great one? Wow. And so that became the mission statement for my life. Because I just want to do things. So if I'm leading a small group, just doing things. If I'm speaking to, you know, 50 students, just doing things. If I'm going and serving in a prison, just doing things. If I'm, if I'm at home with my family, like just doing things. I'd, I'm preaching on a weekend, like just doing things. I just want to do things and, and let God be great. So this, this battle between godly ambition and selfish ambition and how do we discern, for me, that means that we, that we wait. For me, it means that I wait on God because I don't want to pry a door open. I'd rather pray a door open. Oh, yeah. Right? Because once the yeah. door opens, I mean, really, when starting in a position like this, I can't imagine not having the story and starting in a position because then every weekend is an audition. Every weekend, I've got to impress somebody. Every weekend, I wonder, well, what do you think about that? But there's such, you, you, how do you come into a difficult situation like this? There's amazing staff, amazing people, but even I've got enough insecurity that if I didn't know that I was at the place on the planet that God had called me, I think the battle in my mind would keep me from effectiveness, right? Well, let's talk about sure, that. Yeah. I mean, the stakes are pretty high. Mm -hmm. You show up at Crosspoint. Um, it's a church that's had a tough year. Mm -hmm. Any transition is going to be tough. This wasn't an easy one. There's all kinds of pressure on you. It's your first day as lead pastor. All of a sudden, you're also lead communicator, which you've communicated in the past, but not at this level where you're entrusted with carrying the ball down the field, and it's a very large ball, you know. What's going on in your head? Hmm. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I, no idea. I didn't have, and, and I didn't, and, and I, I was one of those guys as a campus pastor. I just kind of put my head down and worked. So I didn't have this, I didn't have this broad network. Right. I mean, I had, I had blogs like yours and I had, 
you know, podcasts that I would listen to, but I didn't have the, I didn't have the people that I could pick up the phone and call. And, and so in many ways I was, Crosspoint was at a high level of dependency and I was at a high level of dependency. And the only thing I knew to do was let's pray. And so, um, so the, the pressure, I mean, I think there is, there is pressure, but I think there's two kinds of pressure. I think there's the press of God and the press of man. Hmm. So I think there's pressure that God puts on us, the press, his leading, his call, right? And then there's the press of man. And, hmm. and I, I want to be more attuned with the press of God than I am. And the more intimate we are with God, the less intimidated we are by people. Say that again. That's the more, really good. The more intimate we are with God, the closer, oh. the more communion we have with him, the oneness, the closeness with him, the less we are driven by the press of man and by our own press, right? That yeah, we're, yeah, we're putting yeah. out there. So, so, it's, so for me getting- I mean, if it doesn't go well, it's a nice public failure right. too. Yeah. Which you keep in the back, you know, you can't ignore that. And, and if there, something, that, something that, you know, uh, Pastor Kevin Myers taught was that, you know what, the results are up to God. Like the, the outcome is up to him. And that's the, I think that's the power of, it really is the power of, of prayer and that you take that dependency. And because listen, it, we have desperation and either we're going to put our desperation on people or we're going to put our desperation on God. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I think every leader needs a cave. <laughs> right? Like David, because the cave uh-huh. for David was the place that he put his desperation on God. And I think so many times we put our desperation and the only, the only person that's attracted to desperation is God himself. That's like, true. It's people, not attractive to people. Not in a relationship. No, not, no, no, your wife right. is not interested. No, 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 <laughs> desperate. No, no, no. no, no. So, I think, so I think for us that when we put our desperation on God, oh, then, so we can, then we can leave from, and that's what, prayer, that's what prayer is, is putting that, God, I'm putting that desperation on you. And, uh, and then as a church, we just gathered together because I didn't know what to do. I think I'm, um, I said, uh, I think at first staff meeting, I pulled the team together and we had, you know, a staff, just this amazing, just sharp leaders. And they yeah. just, they've just been through, you know, difficult 10 month transition. No, we got to, you know, kind of rebuild and we got to build trust. We got to move forward. And I said, um, I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I said, I'd love for you to, uh, I'd love for you to join me for prayer. And I'd love for you to read through, um, I think it was the book, the book of Haggai. And so I like, right. Classic I'm sure, day right, one moves, I'm sure, right? I'm sure they're looking, they're looking at it. They're like, what? <laughs> the right. And, uh, but that was the book I was reading at the time. I mean, it right. really wasn't, you know, there wasn't the strategic plan. Book. It was like, this is yeah. what I'm reading, you know? So, yeah. so we read through the book of Haggai and I knew that that book was about rebuilding, you know, because mm. I was in it because I was reading, I knew it was about rebuilding. And I knew that was what God was going to do is he was going to rebuild his people in this movement. And so, um, so I asked him to read that book through July that kind of month in between and, uh, and began to pray. And there was a whiteboard at the church. We said, hey, write your prayers for Crosspoint and for the city on that whiteboard. And so when I walked in that first day, August 1st, I was able to look up at that whiteboard and see their prayers for mm. this church and for this city. And we've been journeying through that book together. And then I invited, just said, hey, if you'll join me for prayer on Tuesday, I'd love to have you. We're going to meet from 11 to 12. That was when all the campuses were here. We're going to meet for 11, 12 for prayer. And... Um, and I don't know that it was necessarily something that the church had done before that they, I, I don't think they had had that kind of, that kind of time, but I knew that everybody would be in, um, on location from all the, the all the staff and, uh, and gathered together for prayer. And I'm going to like, God talks about in scripture. I think it's, um, in Zephaniah, he talks about, he says, I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer. 
And so there's this idea that God pours out a spirit of prayer, that he pours out a spirit of grace. And so there's kind of this prayer awakening that started happening with the staff. And and during that hour of prayer um, with the staff, where maybe it was new territory for some people, God used that time to, if we put our desperation on him, he used that time kind of chiropractic. Like he began to align, make some adjustments, art, um, some unity within the team, some some things that uh, maybe some cynicism, some things that because really cynicism is a result of like when you're wounded and when trust is broken and, mm-hmm. and God began to heal some of that and people just began to begin to pray and that hour over time began to grow and that was my favorite hour and I here's what I but but I think it's important to say I told him I, I don't care if you come or not like I really I don't I don't care. Well, I just, we were at lunch. I watched you cast vision for a pretty incredible moment. You've got uh, 300 churches across the city fasting and praying for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And you you did such a beautiful job. And I've never heard anyone do it quite the way you did it about fasting. Because I have fasted before. You fasted before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forget what you said. It's like, I hate doing it, but I love what it does to me. Yeah. It's very true. But you didn't put any pressure. You're like, you know what? Maybe you've never fasted before. You don't have to fast. Nobody's mm-hmm. judging you. Uh, but if you want to fast for one day or an hour or one thing or for a week, I mean, and you don't know how, we have a book that'll show you how, but no judgment. If you mm-hmm. don't, I'm like, man, I wanted to fast. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm giving up dinner. Yeah. Like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. But And so you did the same thing because I think I think we've all... You know, if you've been got a couple laps in church, you've been mm. at the mandatory prayer meeting. Yeah, that nobody wanted. That nobody to be wants at. to be at, right? <laughs> and, but when people, what is it, that? and I think it's when it's by invitation rather than obligation, right? When we invite people mm. in, and I think when we when we should people, <laughs> you yeah, know, right? Should. When we when we when we should people, and we're like, you should do this, you should do this, and that is the that is the posture of leadership. I think people don't have an option, but when they choose, and choosing is the most spiritual thing we do. You know, when we when we make a choice that man, I'm gonna I'm gonna engage with this, and it's out of our own response to the Spirit of God. I think the Spirit of God is a much better convincer than I am. And so when when we leave room for people to choose, man, yes, I want to be at this this prayer time. Then we don't have to fabricate something. And then we because we're all there on our own choice. Then then God begins to move, and we people begin to come. I told him I said even if it's just my wife and I. That's fine. I'm not going to take role, not going to ask, but people began to choose. And not everybody comes that, but people from the community, people from the church over time, words began to spread. And it, it is my favorite hour of the week. Mm. I think what we do in that time is so closely tied with what happens on the weekend. I think it is the trailer before the movie. I mean, I really do. Yeah. I think, I think those, those prayers and oftentimes some of the best um, insights and God uses that time to, to speak to me and to give me, um, to give me things that, that I need moving into the weekend as well. So it's a, yeah, it's my favorite, favorite hour of the week. <laughs> what were some other pressures you were facing on, you know, Man. month one, year one, yeah. day one? I mean, I think a lot of it, was, I mean, there was a lot of pressure on our, on our family, right? Yeah. Making that kind of transition. Yep. Um, we, my wife is a twin sister. Well, my your wife kids amazing. were born into where you were, right? They, like, right. They're born into, in, in that, in that town, they had about 18 cousins, first cousins, you know, which are their first best friends, you know, all around. And, uh, my wife has a twin sister. We just have, we have deep family roots that we love. And, uh, and so moving, moving the family, that was a significant, significant pressure. Um, I think up here actually on the staff with the team, 
um, you know, there were a lot of people that I, I knew I wanted to get with, a lot of people that I, I, I wanted to meet with, but just really um, beginning figuring out, okay, well, how am I going to strategically map out these conversations that I, that I need to have? And I think I had to whittle down like, okay, this is my job, like what mm. I need to need to do. I had seen great senior leaders. You know, I'd been under great leadership, but I had to kind of whittle down the list of what are the things that I can do and only I can do. And, and how do I, you know, and then I took my week and I just went and I, um, I kind of put an ideal week together. Like here, here's the dream week of what I do. And then right. I just tried to hit 80% of, uh, 80%. of that. Yeah. With this count. What did you decide were the things that only you could do? Mm-hmm. Um, so preach. Mm. Yeah. Um, no, but you have a team here. I have a team. And so developed a team. So in the interview process, asked, do we have a team teacher? And there really wasn't necessarily a bench. There were some people who had risen up in the transition season, but really developed a, a teaching team and a, and a bench of, uh, of teachers, leaders. Um, the other thing was lead with vision, right? And so I really um, want to bring that leadership team, that leadership table together. But I, I you know, what? I have to own the vision and communicate the vision. Um, the financial conversation to drive the... Uh, uh, that conversation for us as a, as a church, what it means to give and to give generously. And, uh, and then I think f- for the, for the staff, as far as leading the staff, because it, rebuilding trust was a, was a big part of it. So there were, there was a lot that I had to do with the staff because of the transition. How do you do that? How do you rebuild trust? Trust yeah. is an issue regardless of right. circumstance. And it's a, it's a huge one in church mm-hmm. and in any organization. Mm-hmm. How did you rebuild trust? Man, that's, that's a great question. I came in and there was a leadership team that was a part of the hiring team. And so um, in many ways, they chose me, right? And so mm-hmm. it's, it was good, but because of the, the more difficult- And now they work for you. Right, that, right. <laughs> and, and, weird. And the, yeah, yeah, it was weird, right? They, they chose me. And, uh, and so I think they were ready to go, but realizing that the rest of the staff didn't necessarily choose me <laughs> and that the church didn't necessarily choose me. You know, you've mm. got this search team that, that, that chose me and that other, for people, giving people enough time, different people are going to rebuild trust and different, it's, it's just going to take time, yeah. different amounts of time for different people. So, uh, so given that, given that time and then having, I think Jeff Henderson, again, we're going to bring back up Jeff. Mm. Jeff gave me a great piece of advice. We we're having pizza at Mellow Mushroom and, uh, and Jeff, um, he said, I said, Jeff, any, any words of advice? He said, well, he said, um, he said, don't change anything for about a year. Wow. He said, so don't change anything for about a year. He said, and he was familiar with Crosspoint. He said, you got a great staff. He said, uh, love the staff and listen, listen to people. And he said, preach the best messages you've ever preached in your life. Mm. Now, I don't know if they're the best messages. I I did my best, right? But I knew that I was going to have to prepare because leading a church like that with multi-site through video, I knew that I was going to have to protect time to to write and to craft the messages for the weekend that the church needed in that. But the listening to people and the asking questions was so important. So I wrote down several questions. I prepared several questions. I thought, these are questions I want to ask people. And so I would ask these questions of staff, of elders, of board of trustees. I would ask, I had about three questions. Can you share them? Yeah. I got to. First question, I I would ask them the question, what do you love about Crosspoint? Mm. And so give them an opportunity to, to speak to that. And then I would ask the question, why'd you stay in the transition? Good question. And then the third, I said, what do you hope never changes? Hmm. And so I think those three questions gave them an opportunity. It gave me a chance to get to hear. How did you figure out those three questions? I, 
I don't know. I think I read a lot of books about transition <laughs> in between, you know, I read the, the, the first top. 90 days, you know, so yeah. I read all the, I read, I read these books and those were kind of the three I saw. I can't remember. I'm just not real good at remembering things. So I need to, I need to try to whittle it down to a list of three. So. So you come into the city, mm-hmm. cross point, really well-known prominent church nationally, but also in the city, uh, probably one of the best known, if not the best known church in Nashville. Um, how did you handle other pastors? Mm. That can be, you know, you're the new kid in town. Here comes the new sheriff. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I felt more like the new kid in the lunchroom. Is there going to be a seat at any table? And, um, you know, I, I, th- I think it's important to say like my heart has always been for revival. Yeah. So ever since I was in college, I was part of a movement and really, I started reading about revival and studying revival. And I just, I so wanted to be a part of a movement that was bigger in a city and locality. I mean, I go back in history and I read about what God did in Wales, you know. And, I, and so I'll go through and I'll read these historical accounts and go, I want to be a part of that. But I knew that for that to happen, these broad stroke moves of God across a city, a region, locality, like they always happen through unity among hmm. church leaders. And so I knew that... Um, I knew that it would require that. I, I called one of my mentors, Tom Tanner. I called him on the, uh, uh, you know, and during the transition time, I said, Tom, I said, um, should I feel bad that, uh, that it's bigger than Crosspoint? I mean, that, the, revival, that, 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 re- revival. that this desire for revival, like it's, it's bigger than Crosspoint. What I, what I want to be a part of it involves Crosspoint, but it's other leaders and other churches and God doing it. Should I feel should, guilty about should, it? Should I feel bad that it's bigger than Crosspoint? He said, if it's not bigger than Crosspoint, then don't go. Wow. Yeah. He's this heart for revival. So, so knowing that, that this desire to see God move in this kind of way um, across the city was going to run. So what I started doing was meeting with pastors. And so I started, whether it was a coffee, whether it was a lunch, I, and I would get other pastors to get, who do I need to know? <laughs> who do you know that I should know? Right. And so I'd ask that question. And, and when I sit down with pastors, get to hear their story, but then, um, and then get to hear about their church, but then ask them a question, like start talking about revival. And, and usually there are two responses. One, some guys, their eyes glaze over, right? You know, kind of like cynical, right? And then other guys, like their eyes well up with tears. Mm-hmm. And so then I just make a list of the people where their eyes well up, right? <laughs> because I'm like, okay, this is the white hot core. This is the group. And there was one guy that I met, his name's Dave Clayton. He pastors a church called Ethos. And and Dave is the, he's one of the first people I call after a weekend and he shares me about what God's doing at his church. And I share about God did at the weekend. Like we call each other, we text each other before we go, you know, before we preach on the week. So having a, a running partner like that. And I'm like, man, if you're, if you're Rocky, I want to be Apollo Creed, you know, yeah, I want to be yeah. the guy that, that runs with, with you. And, uh, and so really bringing that together has been, has been so life-giving for me. Um, but I knew that for us to experience that across the city, it was going to take a lot of churches. So we started gathering together to pray. We mm. got the white hot group and we had eight to 10 to 12 and then grew to 20 and grew to 40. And then just over time, um, we'd meet one Wednesday afternoon a month. And then over time, um, God put it on Dave's heart to, uh, to, to lead out this awaken, um, gathering churches together to fast and pray for 30 days. And there have been 300 churches that That's have signed crazy. up. That's crazy. I've, I've never, I've never heard of no, that. No, I don't know any other city. Right. And so, you know, that, I mean, it's hard to get two churches to, to yeah, cooperate yeah. only there, right? 300. And, uh, and so we're, we're going to be walking that in January 27th. We start through February 24th and, uh, and 30 days of prayer. And, and it's aimed on 
prayer over Nashville for awakening in Nashville. But we're, here's the here's the cool part. Um, we've got the names of all the people who live in Nashville, all the households. And so each person is going to get a list of 12 names to pray for those people specifically by name. Everybody who lives in the city of Nashville. Everybody who How lives in the city. How do you get that list? Uh, Dave. Yeah, Dave, we'll have to. Yeah, Dave, Dave does, Dave, right? whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's I think on he the purchased internet, it right, right from, you know, from oh, marketing. Yeah, 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 he just yeah. purchased it from a from a, a marketing group and, uh, and and got that list. And so we've divvied it up. So each packet is specifically or uniquely prepared for that person receiving it. These are the people you pray for. And so then there's going to be postcards in the packet and people will get a postcard. That at the end of 30 days, they can write a little note, say, hey, just want to let you know, people of God of the city, um, and we've been praying for you by name. So that's incredible. Yeah. So who knows what God would do, but but here's what we know that we know that God has never moved in revival type moves, right? Where you're talking about society, cultural transformation that didn't first start with concerted prayer with a small group Mm. of people praying. So we know how it begins. And then as God, as he revives a person, he can revive a family. He can revive a family. He can revive a, a, a small group. He can revive a small group. He can revive a church. He can revive a church. He can revive city. So it just spreads. So that's exceptional. Yeah, we're excited. Tell me more about your prayer life mm-hmm. and how it's grown over the years and a little bit more about what it looks like. You know, I, th- I really think it goes back to my mom. Um, mm. My mom was a woman of prayer. She had a prayer uh, journal that she kept out on the table. And so she would spend time with God and then she would conveniently leave her prayer journal like on the table where I couldn't eat cereal without looking right, over. Right, right. And so even by reading her prayer journal, I think I learned how to pray that way as a kid. And I also wanted to see like, what did she know? <laughs> right, <laughs> what right. was God telling her? What was she on to in my life? Because I wasn't always like walking with Jesus. And so so part of me just knowing I had a mom who prayed for me. So I learned to pray from being around her. And I think I was like, I wanted to, I wanted to pray like that. Mm. I, wanted to, I wanted to learn to pray like her. And, uh, and that that won me over to prayer. And then when I got to college, there was a prayer movement going on at the Wesley Foundation where if you were in leadership, it was, it was expected that you would be a part of prayer. Like it was just expected. It was a cultural expectation. And some of the richest prayer time, and we saw God move. I mean, back in that time, there were people praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like 24 seven, before that was a thing. And, and we were seeing God move in supernatural ways. And so I started reading books about men of prayer. And uh, in prayer movements, and that started in college. Then I got to Twelve Stone, and uh, and Pastor Kevin Myers, he uh, he he said early on, um, he felt like God was saying, "I want you to get people together and pray on Saturday nights." And he said he uh, he got he got people together and prayed on Saturday night, and he preached on Sunday. He said it felt like God moved in a different way, and so uh, so he's like, "God, I want you to do that again." And God said, "Well, if you get together and pray on Saturday nights, I'll show up on Sundays." And so he said, how long do we have to do this? God says, as long as you want me to show up on Sundays. Oh, wow. So for like 30 years, every Saturday night, whoever's communicating, whoever's teaching, lead the prayer time there at the church. So that's something that's gone on. So I think being a part of that environment where connecting the prayer with the word, and I think this combination of the word and spirit, because I think you have word churches and spirit churches. Hmm. All right. Yeah, you do. And, and R.T. Kendall said, he said, there's been a great divorce in the church. He said, divorce between the word and the spirit. He said, and as with any divorce, some kids go with the mom and some kids go with the dad. He said, but revival happens, awakening happens when you bring together word and the spirit. When you bring together the word and you bring together prayer. And so those two things coming together for me, that became, okay, this is how it looks in ministry. But personally, like personally, it started with my mom. 
But then when I was in, uh, when I got married, I saw my wife have great discipline mm. <laughs> and I thought, well, I won't be like that. Like yeah. she had incredible. And there was just this consistency to her pursuit of God. And then the longer, um, I watched that, the more inspired I became, but I still struggle with it. And pastor Dan Rowland said this, he said, Kevin, he said, pick a place, pick a time and pick a plan. And so I, having a place and a time, and so far I talk about that basement, that started in that season. And then I'd say it really kicked, kicked in, Carrie, about, um, about seven years ago. I just really wasn't, um, I wasn't satisfied with my prayer life. And I couldn't say that I wanted my kids to have my prayer life. I could say I wanted them to have their mom's prayer life. Yeah. But I couldn't say that that would be an inheritance that I would want for them. And so I, that, that drove me mad because I think it was Ravenhill who said, no man is greater than his prayer life. Yeah. I think I was like, I, I want to build that kind of prayer life. And so I went and read biographies and I read biographies, of all these Christians, I set out to leave, read 50 biographies on the year. And I got through about 20 of them. And I'm reading people like, you know, uh, Ian Bounds and biographies like, uh, like Hudson Taylor and, you know, um, Mueller and all these great, I'm reading Wesley and I'm reading all these biographies and I, I, <laughs> Finney and I get, I get about 20 in and I quit. Like I'm not reading anymore because they're all saying the same thing. Here were these was? people, prayer, <laughs> like, here were these prayer. people who built their ministry and their life on prayer. And so I was like, I need to make some changes. So I began to push the day around and protect the mornings. So morning, like all morning, an hour in the morning, 10 minutes in the morning. Uh, what, what do you, what do you do? What's it look like um, practically? Well, let's just say this. I started with 15 minutes. And then I just began to add to it. I think at one time I was like, I need to pray for an hour. And I started there and that set me up for disappointment. But I started with 15 minutes and then I added to it by appetite. And for, for me, I mean, I'm a, early, I'm a morning person. So it was getting up at, you know, 4.15. And my wife and I kind of have a similar routine and a rhythm. But, but spending that time. And for me, here, here's what really shifted things for me. Now reading the scriptures became prayer. Because mm. I... I, I, I I define prayer as keeping company with God. Yeah. Right. So if I'm, if I'm reading the scriptures and I'm in a conversation with God, that's prayer. If I'm sitting on the couch with the fire going on and I'm just sitting and I'm quiet and I'm listening, that's prayer. Mm. If I'm, you know, if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm worshiping in that moment, it's prayer. So I, I, I look at prayer more as keeping company with God and, and, and protecting, protecting that time. So. That's good. Yeah. That, that's really good. Um, Okay, yeah. so we had another episode of this podcast where we sat down with some of your team, with Matt and with Drew. We talked about attractional church, what's changing, being in Nashville. I don't know you haven't heard that interview because yeah. you weren't in on it, but um, you guys have had that conversation. And I know you haven't changed a lot, and yet the climate has changed, which is really interesting to me. Right. Uh, anything you want to tell us about sort of your approach to how you're leading the services these days that you think is shifting. Mm. I think after I listen to your podcast with us, you all know what I, I'll know what we I think, right? Yeah, so, you're, you're tied up. We I'll know what I think after first. I hear what they think, yeah, yeah. right? The, I realize got, it's a bit of an unfair we, question. We've got, we've got a great, we've got a great team yeah, and, uh, and we've had some great yeah. conversations on it. I'll just say that I think there is, if you were picturing like a Venn diagram, right? Yeah. And you had a tractional on, you know, one of the circles. And then another circle would be, um, would be word. And then another circle would be spirit. Like, mm -hmm. I think there is this sweet spot at this intersection between the best of attractional, which means we want to create a great experience for people who are walking through the doors, right? 
the best of the word, which is saying, man, we want to disciple people. We want to preach the gospel. We want to communicate the gospel mm. effectively. And then the best of best of spirit, which is man, prayer and just a sensitivity to what God, what God's doing. And, and mm. so I think if you looked at the overlap of those three, I'd say that's the sweet spot. Like that's where, that's where you want to be. That's where we want to be. Yeah. Because you know, where we landed on that is it's not like attractional was bad, um, but the model purely had its limits. And, you know, what's the opposite? Repugnant church? Like, right. you don't want to be repugnant. You don't want to be indifferent. You don't want to be hostile. So, of course, you're going to take the best of that, but you also don't want it just, I think the big, one of the big takeaways for me was you don't want it to be about performance. You don't want to get caught in that trap. Right. We, we talked a little bit about the tone and the temperature of the service. So maybe not everything is quite as upbeat uh, you haven't added a lot of music. We haven't either at Connexus, maybe one more song. So you get 18 to 20 minutes of, of music. So it's not like 40 or 60 minutes of music. Uh, but I think Drew was talking a little bit about uh, creating more tone and mood and softer moments. Any, any thoughts on that mm. and where that might be? What does that do when you create, like when it's not just, you know, 120 beats per minute forever and ever, and then done, here's the message. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I think, I think we're taking people, we're taking people on a journey yeah. I just go, okay, we want to take them on a journey. And I think ultimately, um, I, I'm, I'm not a good, um, thermometer in the room. Cause I, you know, like I'm all in. Right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of those guys where, where I think, um, I think being a campus pastor for 10 years and receiving something that was exported. Um, I didn't have to think about those things, right, right? Right, right? So I just knew like it was my job as a campus pastor to lead in that room and to be like the lead worshiper, even though I wasn't on a platform and not mm. in a performance, but it's from an authentic place of going, I want to, I want to go first. And so I think, I think that I've kind of brought that in and knowing we have a great team and they do, de they design services in a, in a great way, but I'm, I'm so into the, the moment that, uh, that I think a lot of times I'm, I'm not necessarily uh, making changes or arranging things. I'm just, I'm just wanting to, wanting to worship and lead the church in that as well. What about your preaching? What are you focusing on? Is there an intentional focus or yeah. tone or? Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think something that Larry Osborne said that was so helpful yeah. when we were, um, when we were with him, um, is he was talking about preaching to the seeker yeah. rather than trying to um, convince the cynic or the skeptic, right, right. or woo the mocker. He's like, whatever mm. theological, you know, position you take, ultimately for a person to be a seeker, it's requiring the spirit of God to do something, right? And so going, okay, I can preach to the person that God is already working in their life and communicate the gospel in a, in a really effective, effective, you know, try to communicate it in, a, in an effective way. But that, that helped, that helped me. And then I, I experienced something, um, when I was, there was a civil rights museum that they put together in Atlanta. And, uh, and it's this amazing, if you're ever in Atlanta, the civil rights museum that's put together is just, it's amazing. Is but, that at uh, Martin Luther King Jr. right across from it, Ebenezer? It's actually, it's actually right next to the Coca-Cola um, museum. It's right down there, oh, okay. right down there off the park. And so it's, a, it, they, they put together this phenomenal museum, but they created, and I was listening to the, the person who designed it and I was listening to him talk at a leadership function. And he said, he said, we created the experience with the 15 year old knucklehead in mind. Mm. He 
said, because we knew if we could immerse and engage a 15 year old knucklehead that they would go home and tell their parents, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Okay, okay. and so, you know, I, I think back to the first time I preached at a, at a weekend service with adults. And, uh, and my, before I stepped up, my mom said, she said, Kevin, just remember they're teenagers with hair in their ears and noses, right? And I think all those years of student ministry, I think really has gotten to, because if we can engage with the, and we can communicate the gospel to a 15 year old where they get excited about it and they're telling people at the same time dealing with issues, but you know what, you're an adult, you make those same decisions, it's just catastrophic in your life, right? Yeah, yeah. So really we're dealing with a lot of the same, the same thing, but trying so to keep in mind. That's different yeah. than the cynic or the mocker. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it is. And I, and I think, I think thinking about, the person that's seeking and the questions that they're asking as a, as a seeker. Wow. Anything else about making, helping your family make the transition? I had to convince myself that my most important ministry started when I drove in the driveway. Mm. I had so many phone calls and so many conversations that I, that I wanted help linger. And so I just had to put a hard stop. Sometimes I go, I go park, you know, at the, at the park, park <laughs> to, finish a, to finish a phone call because I was like, I just, I want my kids and my family to know. And then just knowing that it's, that it's difficult, especially kids. My oldest was 14. They left all their friends. They went from having all these friends to go yeah, into yeah. somewhere. Maybe they have one or if, if any, and they're wonderful. They're friendly kids, but it just, it wasn't the same. And just knowing I need to attend to their heart. And so I just, I was encouraged um, leaders to stay engaged um, mm. man, you know, we're a year, we're 18 months through and I'm seeing the relationships and the roots starting to see them flourish again. So just, just stay engaged with their heart and just make that your, your most important ministry. And I had to say no to a lot of things in the evenings so that I could be at home with my family. And, uh, and what I, would you say no to? Uh, dinner's out. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there were a lot of people who wanted my, okay who wanted me to attend banquets and functions and things around town that um, where they wanted my presence. They didn't necessarily want my influence or they didn't want conversation, no. but they just, they wanted to meet. And they were being kind with the invitation. I'm really grateful for that invitation. But that first year, I just had to say a no to a lot of those things um, so that I could be at home and have dinner with my family. And my wife and I, um, we have date day on Friday and it is my favorite day of the week mm-hmm. um, because we have, the kids are in school and we're able to have that time and just to, just to communicate. And she, here's, here's something that really changed for us is in our marriage when I dignified her voice. Wow. I think for a, for a long time, Carrie, um, I think, you know, I was the pastor and I'm the, right. and even when we would talk about scripture and we'd talk about things like I had something to share, but when I, when, when she became my primary prophetic voice, like the voice that I realized, you know, God speaks to me through, mm. through things that she said. And once I dignified her voice, um, things began because she does have incredible things to say. And I really had a play, uh, I really had a, uh, a bit of grief that I was like, man, I've spent, you know, I spent 12 years maybe of our marriage, 13, 14 years of our marriage. We married, you know, 18 years. I spent a long time, um, not as attuned to, uh, to what she had to say. And so Friday's time for me to ask questions and for me to really get to hear from her. Because what did it involve to dignify her voice? Um, I, you know, it started with a leader. I was at a leadership event and there were, um, we were in a small group and they gave us 20 questions to ask the people in the group. And I'm going through, and I think it was just 20 leadership questions or get to know you questions. And I'm going through and I'm going, I don't know that I know how my wife would answer these questions. Hmm. And I was like, because I haven't asked. And so we, uh, we ended up taking an evening. Uh, we went, we got away and we just had no, and we sat out on a, um, 
sat down on a patio at a restaurant and we just sat there and we went through those questions and I just listened. And it was like in front of, it was like I saw her heart just begin to, uh, to blossom, mm-hmm. right? And grow. And I realized, man, I, I have, um, I've, I've shut her down in some ways because I haven't listened um, to her. And it, the more I treasured her voice and cherished the things she had to say, the more I saw um, her grow because she always had great things to say. I was just, I think I was just too prideful to, uh, to listen. That's a wonderful place to end yeah. this conversation, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah. Your gift to me personally, a gift to this church, a gift to the community. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, People can find out more at crosspoint.tv. Are you on the socials? Uh, Instagram and, uh, and Twitter. Yeah, so it's at Kevin, at Kevin Queen. Cool. Kevin, thank you. Thank you, Carrie. Well, that is a deep well. And if you want more, you can head on over to the show notes. Go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 252, where you will see everything. Or head to leadlikeneverbefore.com in the search window. Type in Kevin Queen. And the show notes will magically appear. There's also transcripts and quotes that you can share on social. Speaking of sharing on social, thank you so much for doing that. And thank you to everybody who's leaving ratings and reviews. We are well into the 900s now in terms of reviews. Uh, Clark, thank you so much for yours. You say you are a recent listener and you've learned so much in such a short time. Neither seminary nor conferences have given you this kind of wisdom And I'm so glad. I'm so glad you feel that way. Also, Orchard Mama, stay-at-home mom of three, says, I love this podcast. I cherish the times I get to listen to a great show where I learn something, get inspired, receive encouragement. This podcast offers all of that. I love the long interviews. Thank you for that because I really get into the deeper truths of things. And 30-minute podcasts just never scratch that itch. Great variety of guests and topics. Well, you understand my heartbeat because... Yeah, I don't know how you have a conversation like this in 10 minutes with Kevin Queen or or last week's or even for that matter, next week's. And speaking of next week, we are back with Katie Cole. She has a brand new book on women in leadership in the church. And I talked to her about the new rules for men and women in the workplace. And Katie is a top-notch leader and thinker. Really challenged me. Uh, The book is brilliant, honestly. Uh, I, I think it's a must read for men and women. And uh, she is a uh, accomplished leader in and of herself, a pioneer in multi-site, in corporate, and so many other things. So here's an excerpt from next episode with Katie Cole. So yeah, I was uh, in my early 20s. I'd graduated college and moved to Florida from the Seattle area. And I uh, found a great church and I was volunteering at the singles picnic. I'd probably been there like three months and uh, they put me in charge of the greeter table. So I was handing out name tags and welcoming everyone. And this guy, you know, and now I'm in my mid forties, but at the time when you're 22, a mid forties guy at the singles picnic is a little creepy anyway. And he comes <laughs> up and, and he says, uh, boy, you have really nice birthing hips. And what do you say to something like that? I'd never been complimented on that before, but it was good to know. <laughs> so... That's if So that's I think that was the it. one of many awkward moments in ministry that I'm sure everyone experiences. I'm sure men have them too, but I don't know that many men get that kind of comment. So you don't want to miss that. We've also got Hayden Shaw coming up next week. Guys, thank you so much for the ratings, reviews, for sharing, for all of that. And uh, head on over to rethinkleadership.com. Get registered before it's too late. And don't forget about Pro Media Fire before Easter. The special offer is going away 40% off now. 
So you can go to promediafire.com forward slash carry, get a cloud-based team that is a done-for-you solution. Uh, well, while well, you can still get it while well, the getting's good. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.